good to have you all with us this morning. Uh, if you guys didn't know this about me, I, uh, I grew up on 40 acres just outside a little town called Amber, Oklahoma. Now, Amber is really not a very big town. It's about the size of Hardesty, give or take. So, you know, if you really needed anything other than, say, gas, uh, a pop, candy bar, uh, you had to drive about 14 miles into Chickasha, something like that. So I remember as a kid, when mom and dad would go to town, uh, we would wait in expectation of their return, right? Uh, perhaps the trip was a, a special treat. They were going to get pizza, uh, or maybe it was a stop at the hardware store, or perhaps just a visit to the grocery store. But regardless of the purpose of the trip, uh, I remember waiting for what seemed like forever for them to get that back. So we would go and play for a little while, and invariably we would ask the question, is dad back yet? To which the reply usually was something along the lines of, he just left the driveway, right? And so after seven or eight iterations of that, uh, my brother and I, we would finally, we'd make our way down to the creek and we'd go down there and we'd swing on our old rope swing or perhaps we'd go and play at the bat cave, which just on a side note, uh, had no bats and no cave and no labels. But mom and dad, when they were ready for us, they, they had an old bell uh, that was mounted next to the front door of our trailer house. And so we'd go and play on the creek and we'd lose track of time, of course, uh, only to be beckoned back to the house by the ringing of that bell. So this was the signal to come home. Uh, on days when mom and dad went into town, it was the signal that they had returned and they probably needed help bringing groceries in or something of that effect. Uh, but we would run back to the house and sure enough, there dad would be and he's returned from town with a pickup load full of milk replacer, maybe some steam rolled oats, groceries, various other items. But one of the great things about these memories is the fact that if dad left to go to town, there was no doubt he was coming back. It wasn't a matter of if, but when. So when we would wait in anticipation for that return, so even at the creek, even if we kind of temporarily get lost track of time and, and got into our, our play, when that bell rang, it reminded us of his trip and the fact that he was back. And so we would run back to the trailer to see what he had brought from town. And so while I would wait on Dad's return from town, I knew that he would return. And I knew his return was for our benefit. And so today, if you have your Bible there with you, if you would turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1, we're going to look at Jesus' ascension. Now, we often talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection, but we often don't spend just a lot of time thinking about the ascension. So what's the point of it? Why does it matter? Do we receive any benefit from it? We, we might think those questions, we probably wouldn't speak them out loud. Um, but those are often there connected with it. So I'd like for us to seek some answers to those questions from God's word this morning. Uh, these will help us to see that at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is glorified, honored, and invested with authority, giving us hope and help for this life and the life to come. So if you have your Bibles open to the book of Acts, let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. We see there, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons uh, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Praise God. Um, and let's, let's flip over and read one other passage real quickly here. Luke 24, very last chapter in the book of Luke, uh, the last portion of that. We're going to look at Luke 24, starting at verse 44. And so this is, again, another, another place the ascension is uh, recorded. And so he said to them, he's with the disciples, so he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hand and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And so this morning, as we think about these passages, if you don't remember anything else, just remember this, that at the Father's right hand, Jesus is glorified, honored, and invested with authority, giving us hope and help for this life and the life to come. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us, that we have assurance in the work of Christ, and to know that we are right with you because of who he is and what he has done. And so, Lord, as we look at the ascension, the session of Jesus this morning, may we be encouraged, Lord. May we praise you, and and may Christ be worshipped and honored this morning for who he is and what he does. So, Father, may this bring glory to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning's sermon is going to be a little different than most of our sermons. Uh, we'll be looking at several passages to help us better understand Jesus' ascension and his session or his seating at the right hand of God. But before we begin into that, uh, I just want to take a few moments to explain some terms, if you will. So the ascension refers to the bodily ascent of Jesus back to the Father. Now, this is not some out-of-body experience of, uh, for Jesus. No, we're talking about Jesus, the God-man, truly God and truly man in both his divine and human natures being lifted up to the Father. So that's what we mean when we talk about the ascension. And another idea that connects with the ascension, and in many ways it really can't be separated from it, is a discussion, in this discussion is the, the idea of Christ's session. Now, don't let that language confuse you. It kind of confuses me. But all session means is setting or seating, whichever. Um, but think about it. When you go to a conference, what do you do? You go to several sessions, right? Well, our first session's about this, our second session's about that. What do you do in those sessions? You sit. You seat, okay? 
And so when we talk about the session of Christ, we're talking about the seating of Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Um, and so with those definitions in mind, let's see what God's Word has to say about Christ's ascension and session. So the first observation uh, I want to make this morning is that in his session, Jesus is glorified. So note in Acts 1-9 that Jesus is lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now this is probably not just any ordinary run-of-the-day mill kind of cloud. Uh, this is the glory of God in the Old Testament is often seen as a cloud, and so I think that's what's going on here. We need only think about the presence of God with Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Um, where it says in 19.9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. So God is present with Moses in a thick cloud, or, or we can think of the dedication of Solomon's temple in Second Chronicles chapter 7. The glory of the Lord fills the temple, and the people saw it. We might think about the connection between the glory of the coming of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 who comes with the clouds in heaven. I don't think we should just assume this is that old cloud, like I said. I think this is the glory of God. It's Jesus rising and returning to the Father in glory. That's not, not what I mean when I, not, not the only thing I mean when I say that Jesus is glorified in the ascension. If we'll look at John chapter 17, we see Jesus saying this in his high priestly prayer. He says, I glorified you on earth speaking to the Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is glorified in the ascension and in his session. He's here praying that God would glorify him in his presence. At the ascension, uh, we see the beginning of this prayer's fulfillment, right? He is being glorified with the glory that was his from before the world existed. Jesus' work on earth has been done. He now returns to the Father's side rightly to be glorified. Uh, another passage uh, we'll return to regularly this morning comes from the book of Psalms. And so the, the Psalm 110 verse 1 is a, a, a verse that we see often in the New Testament. And Psalm 110 verse 1 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, this is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. In fact, we'll see later that Jesus actually applies this verse to himself. In Jesus' return to the Father, this psalm of David is being fulfilled. Jesus is seated so that uh, this is where he would uh, use that language of session, right? So Jesus ascends to the Father and his session, the, the session of the incarnate Son of God begins. The seating is in glory. And this is not just some mundane, typical event. This is the glorious triumph of God in the work of the Son. The Son is rightly glorified and honored. Now, this brings me to a second point I want us to see from God's Word concerning the ascension uh, in His session. And that second point is, in Christ's ascension and seating at the right hand of God the Father, He is honored. Now, on Sunday nights we've been studying 
the, the book of Philippians together as a church, so I hope you've been able to be a part of that. But just a few weeks ago, Jeremy and I were talking about the first part of Philippians 2. And so here in Philippians 2, Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi. He's calling them to live these lives of uh, selfless humility. Uh, and then he gives them an example uh, to follow in the person of Jesus. And a little later on, as Paul records this, he, he records God's response to Christ's work. And so in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we read this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So did you catch the language there? God has highly exalted him. God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus is being greatly honored for his work. So the bestowal of Jesus with the name above every name, it doesn't simply mean that Jesus is the first name on a list, uh, but rather that he is really over the whole list, right? He is categorically and fundamentally supreme in every way. The name above all names. Peter, in his sermon at Pentecost, says this, and, and I'm going to read a lengthy section here from his sermon at Pentecost. So if you've got your Bible, you might flip over to Acts chapter 2. Uh, I want to read 29 through 36. Because one of the things we'll find in, in the language of many of the, uh, the sermons in the book of Acts is this, this language of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, uh, all tied together. And, and so as Peter's here in the, in the end of this sermon, I want to read what he says. So Acts 2, starting in verse 29, he says, Brothers, I might say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. Now remember, he's the one who wrote Psalm 110. And his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received power from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out on uh, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." So here we see Peter connecting Jesus with Psalm 110, verse 1 again. Uh, Jesus is being exalted to the right hand of God. This is a place of honor, right? It's, it's not given to just anyone to sit at the right hand of a king, much less the creator of the universe. And so God the Father is rewarding the Son, exalting him and giving him the promised Holy Spirit. The Son's redemptive work on earth is complete, and He is received back into the Father's presence and glory to be glorified at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted and honored for His obedience to the Father's will, and He is made Lord. And so this brings me to a third thing 
I wish to make regards, uh, uh, a third point I want to make regarding Christ's ascension and session. In his ascension and session at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is invested with authority. So we've talked about Jesus being glorified, talked about Jesus being, um, uh, uh, what did I say? Uh, Jesus being glorified, about Jesus being honored, and then thirdly here that Jesus is being invested with authority. So now if you're like me, the language of made Lord in reference to Jesus just kind of sets you on edge a bit. Um, well, Jesus has been and is God from all eternity past, right? As God, all authority would be his, and he would be Lord of all from before the foundation of the world. So how could Peter use language like this, that Jesus would be made Lord? Uh, without getting too sidetracked, I think it's just a good time to stop and consider for a moment the incarnation of Christ. Um, when we talk about the incarnation of Christ, we're referring to the Son, the second person of the Trinity, uh, taking up the nature of man. And so Jesus, who is and always has been truly God, at his birth in Bethlehem, took upon himself the nature of man, becoming the God-man, truly God and truly man. While there's mystery in the incarnation, and we can never know fully how this works, the church throughout the ages has understood that these two natures, the the divine nature and the human nature in Christ, uh, they're not mixed, they don't co-mingle. And so thus it can be appropriate to talk about Jesus as being made Lord when we think about the whole person, both natures, since his human nature has not been Lord from all eternity. And so just just back to the point at hand and specifically, in his ascension to the Father's right hand and more specifically in his session at the Father's right hand, Jesus is invested with authority. We see this in a number of places. For instance, 1 Peter 3.22 where it says, uh, talking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So angels, authorities, and powers are subject to Jesus. Or again, the application of Psalm 110 to Jesus throughout much of the New Testament. Um, and really, let's, let's just look at one of those instances more closely. Uh, flip over to Matthew 26 with me. In Matthew 26... 63 through 65, we see this. This is Jesus before the the high priest during his trial. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is good. And Jesus says to him, You have said so, but I tell you, From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a great verse. This is Jesus before the high priest. And notice what he does in this passage. He he applies Psalm 110 to himself, but not only that. He he takes Psalm 110 and he sandwiches it in the middle of another quote uh, as we think about Daniel 7.13. And so the, the, the language of the Son of Man and on the cloud of heavens, on the clouds of heaven, uh, comes from that passage in Daniel 7. Uh, and then the seated at the right hand of God comes from Psalm 110. So here Jesus connects the Son of Man with the Messianic King. And then he applies it to himself. He is given authority. He, 
the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God. And thus, just by implication, he will be the judge of the high priest, not the other way around. Jesus is invested with authority in his session. Jesus is glorified. He's honored. He's invested with authority in his ascension uh, to his session at the Father's right hand. Spurgeon points out a response uh, that we should have for these truths when he says this. And this is just a great quote. Charles Spurgeon said, He is sitting on a throne. Observe his majesty. Delight in his power and trust in his dominion. He is sitting at the right hand of God in a place of honor and favor. This is proof that we are beloved and favored of God. For our representative has the choicest place at God's right hand. Let your hearts ascend and enjoy that love and favor with him. What a great quote. As we look at the ascension and the session of Christ, may it lead us to praise like that. Because we serve a great God. We have a mighty Savior in Jesus Christ who is worthy of praise, who is worthy of glory, who is worthy of honor, who is worthy of the authority that is his. And so you might be saying right now, those, those are incredible truths, that's really neat stuff, but what does it mean for me? Uh, those are hard concepts to follow. Uh, I, I just want to point out four ways that we have hope and are helped by Jesus' ascension and session. So just four more things here. I'm breaking the, the, the three, three-point Baptist deal here, going to more like seven or eight. I, I didn't even count them. But we got four more, whatever, whatever they are. Um, but, but just look at this. These are four ways in which we can hope and are helped by the ascension in, in Christ's session. The first one is because of Christ's ascension and session, we can have confidence in our salvation. Have you, have you thought about that? Think about John 19.30. In John 1930s is Jesus on the cross when he says, uh, it is finished. And then he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. Jesus had finished his work on earth. Jesus had laid upon him the iniquity of us all, right? Yet in the ascension, he goes to the Father's side. Think about this. The same holy, righteous, just God who will not allow sin into his presence. The atonement has been made. The lamb has been slain and has been found worthy of a place of honor and exaltation. Our sins have been paid for, praise God. If Jesus, who has had our sins laid upon him, is righteous and worthy to be in the presence of the Father, so too are we who are made the very righteousness of God by the work of Christ to his praise. When we think about 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So in that great exchange, Christ's righteousness for our sin and in the exaltation of the Son, we can praise God that we are safe in Christ. We can say with Paul from Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a great work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So John Calvin sums all this up quite well, and he says, He is at God's hand with the nature that he took from us. And this is so that we might know for certain that no harm can come to us, for we are under his protection. What a great hope. We have a hope of salvation, assurance of that because of the work of Christ and his ascension 
and his being found right before God, that we are found in him and thus can be found right before God as well. But a second hope that can be found in Christ's ascension and session is a hope of his return. Now, did you notice that what the two men in white robes said back in Acts one eleven, as, as the disciples are looking up into the heavens, right? As we'd probably be doing too if we were there. Like, what just happened? Um, but but here, as the apostles are looking up into heaven, the, these men come and they say, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." Do you hear the assurance in that? The same Jesus who is taking up in glory will return in glory. He's not gone forever, uh, nor are we separated from him forever. He has returned to the Father to continue his work and his session. Yet a time will come, and may it come quickly, Lord Jesus, when, as the hymn says, the sky will be opened up and the Lord Jesus will return. And in this return, we shall never again be parted from him. We look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Do you do you hear the promise of Jesus in that? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. So Jesus in the ascension does indeed go to prepare a place for us. Thus, we can safely assume that the fact that Jesus will return and take us to himself. And so he will not leave us to live a life separated from from him and the Father. Uh, We, the church, are his body. He is our head. We are his bride. He is our bridegroom. And just as my head would not be separated from my body, I I pray, uh, neither will he be separated from his body. And just as I would not be separated from my bride, neither will he be separated from his. We are great beneficiaries of the unbounding love of Jesus So come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Now, in addition to these these two hopes of salvation, this this hope of salvation, this hope of return, or these assured hopes, I should say, uh, in Christ's ascension and session, we also receive the help of the Holy Spirit. So, So we've received hope of salvation, we've received hope of the return of Christ, and then thirdly, we've received the help from the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts 1-8, as we read earlier at the beginning of our sermon, when Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Or again, in Luke 24, we read in verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of the Father, or the seal of the Father, as we see in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Um, there it says, And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us, 
and who has also put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit works as a guarantee or a seal upon us from the Father. He, he marks us as belonging to the Father. Uh, maybe it's like my embossing seal in my office would mark one of the books as mine. Uh, this ties back to that assurance of hope in salvation, right? And so this is one of the helps that we receive from the Holy Spirit is, is that assurance of hope tying back to, to what we saw earlier. Um, he is also a helper to us. In John sixteen seven, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the promised helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to us unless Christ first goes away. So while we are saddened by the, the separation from our Lord Jesus, we are encouraged and helped by the Holy Spirit who continues to administer among the people of God on earth. Instead of having the incarnate Son of God in one location on earth, He has given us the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. A helper who convicts of sin or helps us to pray when we don't know, when we don't know what to ask for. We see it in Romans 8. Or a helper who guides us uh, in our walk to honor God. And we see that in Galatians chapter 5. We have a, a helper who gives gifts to God's people in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 and many other places. But all of this is because of Christ's ascension and the fact that he is now seated at the right hand of God. For if he had not gone away, the helper would not have been here. And so, man, we have a great hope of salvation. We have that assured hope of the return of Christ. We have help in the Holy Spirit. And one final help in Jesus' ascension and session that I would note for us this morning is that Jesus is acting as a mediator for us at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8, 33-34, I told you guys we'd be jumping around a lot this morning. Uh, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, defending us against any accusations brought before the throne. His work is complete. And he has been vindicated for his work on earth. He is, uh, we as the church are a part of the body of Christ and are in him. And he intercedes for us because he has an intimate knowledge of who we are, knowing we are righteous, not because of our works, but because of his righteousness that was imputed or given to us. So no accusation will stand against us. Jesus defends us against those accusations, showing us to be right and just in him. And so much of the book of Hebrews picks up on this idea of Jesus as mediator and intercessor and, and really the idea of Jesus as uh, the high priest, uh, the, the, the best of a high priest, if you will, in the order of Melchizedek. But in Hebrews 7, 25 and 26, he goes on to say, uh, the writer says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have much, such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is our high priest. He makes intercession for us. 
not as the Old Testament priests might have, but rather he does so in perfection once for all. So as a holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted high priest he serves, no accusation can stand against us because of the work of Christ. You know, John Calvin said, We should look to our head who is already in heaven, and we should say, Weak though am I, there is Jesus Christ who is powerful enough to keep me on my feet. Frail though I am, there is Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Full of misery though I am, there is Jesus Christ, in immortal glory. All that he has, he will give me forever, and I will share in all his blessings. What a wonderful quote. So, As we celebrate the atoning work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, let us not forget the significance of the ascension and Jesus' session at the right hand of the Father even now. Praise him for his wonderful plan of salvation. Praise him for the assured hope we have in the sufficient work of Christ and in his return. Praise him for the truth that Jesus, the ultimate priestly king, reigns even now mediating and interceding for his people. In fact, why don't we just take a moment to respond to God's goodness in his plan of salvation and rejoice in Christ our head. Uh, I'm going to pray here in just a minute, and then Guy's going to come back up, and he's going to lead us in one last song of praise before we go, so don't don't kill our stream too soon. Uh, and after that, I think we've got a couple of announcements for you. But let me pray for us, and then Guy's going to lead us just as we worship and praise God for who he is and what Christ has done in the ascension and does even now in his session. So would you pray with me? Father, you indeed are so good. We love you. We thank you that we can know the Father through you, Jesus. So Jesus, may you be glorified in our lives. May we live lives that point others towards you, God. As you, Jesus, are glorified in the ascension, may you be glorified in the lives of your people. Jesus, you are honored, taking a place of honor at the right hand of God. And Father, may we live lives that point to you. Jesus, may we live lives that are worthy of honor because we are in Christ. So may we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and walk in a way, in a manner worthy of your calling. Because you are honored in heaven. May you be honored in our lives. And Jesus, you are invested with authority in heaven. We praise you, Father, that you rule and reign over all things. We acknowledge that. And God, we have great assurances and confidence because of that. Jesus, you are so good. We trust in your reign and your authority to take care of all things here on earth. And so may we live lives that acknowledge your reign. May we have hope and confidence in salvation. May we be assured of the return of Christ and the fact that we will one day be with you for all eternity, never again to be separated from you. Father, may we thank you for the help we have in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we thank you that you help us by making mediation and intercession for us even now at the right hand of God. 
So Jesus, may you be praised this morning. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.